Hey, Fire fans, welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I am here after Greek Easter, full of lamb, full of life. Christos Anesti, Christ is risen, and I am ready to talk some Chicago Fire, despite the Chicago Fire not really being ready to be talked about in much positive terms. Over the weekend, they blow another two-goal lead, this time to the Philadelphia Union at home at Soldier Field, and it's deja vu all over again, as they say, right? We are going to review this match against Philly. We're going to look at the goals. We're going to look at some of the coaching decisions, some of the players, uh, how they performed, and then we're going to take a little bit of a look at Gaston Jimenez, who is kind of becoming this polarizing figure within the Chicago Fire fan base is he good is he bad is he just being better than he has been which people make me think that he's good i don't know we're going to take a look at him a little bit we're going to go through all of this and maybe have a little bit of a cathartic moment here as we review what happened over the weekend with the chicago fire first i've got to thank our sponsor skira icelandic spring water available at your local 7-eleven skira icelandic spring water comes from a government protected preserve in iceland it has a naturally low mineral content. Iceland has some of the best water in the world. Clearly, no pun intended, this stuff is the best. So get to your local 7-Eleven, grab a bottle or two or three or a case of Skira Icelandic spring water. Stay hydrated as the weather warms up. Stay hydrated as you're screaming at the Chicago fire, and we'll get through this together. All right, let's get into our match review. Chicago Fire versus Philadelphia Union Saturday, April 14th ends up in a disappointing for Chicago Fire fans 2-2 draw. And honestly, I bet Philly fans are disappointed that their team didn't come home with three points given the way this game played out. Generally, though, if you look at the at just the first half, the Chicago Fire played pretty well. The fans were pretty positive, at least from what I was seeing in my group chat with some Fire fans and with what I was seeing on Twitter. But everyone was a little positive, but everyone never felt comfortable. They knew that you can't be comfortable, as I've always said, until the final whistle blows. Then at halftime, Jimenez goes out after picking up a knock, maybe hamstring injury, I think. Tehran then goes out about 15, 20 minutes after halftime with a possible injury, and Philly smells blood in the water, and they come after the fire, and the game falls apart. So that's kind of your general summary. Fire play a good first half, go up to nothing, couple of injuries to your defensive starters, and then Philly attacks, the fire fall apart, and it's a 2-2 result. Let's break down some of the goals and see if we can't gain anything, gain a little knowledge from what happened here, right? In the 19th minute, Myron Haile Selassie gets his first ever Chicago Fire goal, and no one is more happier than he was when he had that celebration. Little nervy moment there because what should have been a tap-in, he kind of like puts his foot over the ball. I guess he was thinking it might hop up and on that Soldier Field turf, who could blame him? Uh, but he ends up putting his foot over the ball. Thankfully, it's enough contact to stop it, and then he's able to tap it back in. Andre Blake was at the near post. Salasi was at the far post, uh, and it didn't turn into a holler bit of a moment for him. But where the positives come from this is in the 17th minute, two minutes before, the Fire have some excellent buildup. They're playing very direct through the middle, and I think Gutierrez is right in the mix of it, right? And there's a really good opportunity 
But the fire don't, you know, kind of sulk back from that. They keep the pressure on. And then two minutes later, they bring the ball up the left side. Gutierrez, uh, is who's who's already a little left to begin with when this play started, plays Mueller on the left wing. Miguel Navarro makes an overlapping run. Mueller plays the ball to him. He plays the low hard cross across the front of goal. Some pretty poor defending by Philly, not getting into that passing lane, Blake not reading it right. Uh, I don't know what Blake was playing on that spot. Usually the goalkeepers are, are told to play the shot and let the defenders play the pass. Uh, but on a low hard cross like this, he's got to do a better job of maybe stepping away from his near post and getting a hand on it, right? Regardless, the ball gets through. Good cross by Navarro. Salase taps it in. Excellent first goal. The fire seem to be in control of the game at this point. Shortly thereafter, own goal. Fire go up 2-0. They had a good press. They were getting some good uh, offensive push. The Union, however, are able to get a foot on it to clear it. Unfortunately, they clear it right off the backside of their other defender, and it bounces over Blake and into the net. Go find the replay. Watch it for yourself. It is one of the oddities in soccer goal scoring, without a doubt. But you know what? As Fire fans and players... You take it. You take 2 nothing, And maybe, just maybe, the bounces are starting to break the way of the fire and the soccer gods are at least ignoring the Chicago fire and not putting their wrath down upon this team, right? You take the 2 nothing lead into halftime. But then, as we mentioned, Gaston Jimenez looks like he pulled up shortly before halftime, right? And then Carlos Turan goes out uh, around the 60th minute or so. And then in the 62nd minute, we get a PK awarded to the Philadelphia Union. Daniel Gazdag converts it. It's a 2-1 match. Now, this PK is a result of just a completely boneheaded play by Miguel Navarro. And he's good for one of those every match, right? And unfortunately, this boneheaded play results in a PK for the opposition. Ura is facing away from goal. Philadelphia Union striker Mikel Ura is facing away from goal. He's not even in front of goal. He is off to Brady's left on that left line of the 18-yard box facing the sideline. There is no danger. He's being marked. I think Chihos is on him. He's not being marked. He's not in any position to shoot or cross. Navarro, who is marking his man on the wing, says, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to double-team him and take the ball away. This is like if you're in the NBA and your, your center's are matched up, the guard drops back into the paint and swats at the ball, except in this case, Navarro doesn't just come back and like poke the ball away. He just runs into Mikel Ura, just completely runs into him, tackles him, takes his legs out, and the penalty is the appropriate call, I believe, in this instance. And that's when the wheels fall off for the Chicago Fire. I believe there was even a Fabian Herbers post-game quote that said, like, yeah, we kind of knew it was coming after this. Like, we all had that feeling of, oh, no, here we go again after we give up the penalty kick, uh, which leads to bigger locker room issues. Gosh, I don't know how many times we can talk about the coaching staff and the mentality of this team, but here we go again. Then what's worse and what actually shows you the mentality of a strong, determined team is not there, despite the fact you thought you were getting there last week. Chicago teams do this time in and time out. They give you the hope, and then they take it away from you. They rip it away from you, right? Okay, so you're you're still up a goal. There's a half hour left to play. You're still at home. You've got your subs to use. Like, no reason to panic here, right? You get a lucky own goal to go up to, 
you give up a terrible PK. Like things are balancing out here, guys. Like you should not have to worry about, oh no, we're going to blow this game with a half hour left up a goal. But they do. Two minutes later, Julian Carranza for Philly gets the equalizer off a cross from the ring. No fire defender is in really good position. And Matt Doyle from Major League Soccer from MLSsoccer.com wrote about it. That's something we've been talking about on this show since the inception of this podcast, that when the fire can get in good defensive sets, they look good. When Chihos and Tehran can set the lines, when Brady can kind of conduct things from, from his goal line, when the wingbacks get back in a good defensive position, the center defensive mids, when everyone is on the same page and is able to set up, then the fire play pretty good defensively. But it's in these transition moments, it's in these counterattacks, or when you have a wing back, or when you have a defensive midfielder pushing up the field to support the attack and then getting caught out of position, that scrambling is when the fire look like a youth team. They have no idea what to do, who to mark, who to pick up, which runners belong to which defenders. They are terrible in transition defense. We've seen it in games prior, and we see it again in this Philadelphia game. On the cross that comes in, uh, no fire defender gets in a really good position. Chihos is even kind of like trying to assess the scene of this car accident and figure out which patient he needs to attend to first, which defender he needs to get to or, or where his his help is coming from. And, and he's late. Everyone is out of position on this one. And poor Chris Brady. I mean, you can't blame the goalkeeper for letting in a ball that's shot from within your own six-yard box, which is happening more more often than it should be. Uh, and that is the equalizer. Two minutes after Philly scores the PK, they get the equalizer. And like I said, Fabian Herber has even said, like, here we go again in, in postgame. And by the way, this is my little sidebar. We always get postgame quotes from manager Ezra Hendrickson. Perfectly fine. Uh, we usually get some postgame quotes from Sheridan Shakiri. Um uh, you know, or Brian Gutierrez, like one of the offensive guys, kind of the names, right? Why is Fabian Herbers like always doing the post-game comments? Why aren't we hearing from the captain Rafa Chios? Why aren't we hearing uh, from our strikers, uh, Kai or Kutsius or Shubilko when he was playing, right? Maybe they are getting it, but at least the news sources I'm following, it's all the Fabian Herbers quotes. That's what I'm seeing on MLSsoccer.com too. Why is Herbers the one that had, it gets stuck doing media duty? Like, is everyone leaving the locker room? I don't know. If anybody knows that, please, please reach out. Let me know uh, at Glasshouse Soccer on social media and glasshousesoccer at gmail.com if you want to email me. Anyway, so those are the goals, right? One good goal by the fire, good offense in the first half, and then just terrible defending and boneheaded plays in the second half. And that's how you drop points from a position of leading at home. Let's take a look at the coaching, right? Ezra Hendrickson comes out the usual 4-2-3-1 lineup. No issues there. It's kind of been working as of late. They're on a four-game unbeaten streak. That becomes a five-game unbeaten streak. And if you're a glass-half-full fire fan, that's what you hang your hat on. We've been unbeaten in five games. Well, you know what? Pretty sure three of those have been at home, and you've won one of them. If that. Yeah. So you should be winning these games. These are points dropped. This is the difference between a 10-11 seed and a 6 or 7 seed right here. What we're seeing right now is that difference. Now, Shakiri's on the bench. Federico Navarro is out. Okay, fine. 
let's let's not rush him back. They they do have Gaston Jimenez, they do have Mauricio Pineda, they do have Fabian Herbers, they 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 have some guys there that they can put in. And I'm sure Ezra's head was we could shift back to that 5-4-1 when we have the lead and just play defensive and we can cover up for Federico Navarro being out with injury. But honestly, I'm apathetic to the lineups now. Like, I, I am not going to stress about who's starting and where and what formations for two reasons. Number one, with, with the injuries, the lack of depth and options, uh, we saw it. Ezra does not like to use fire two players typically, and he the last couple times he has been, maybe he's been justified in that approach because Burks and Casas could not hack it at the MLS level right now. So I am not going to get hung up on the lineups because – it doesn't matter who starts where there are bigger problems, recurring problems uh, that we see with the fire, namely blowing leads and not generating good scoring opportunities. Talk about that later. But also like, I, and again, that's reason number two, we don't, we don't play properly with a lead. The substitutions are terrible and the team has discipline issues, right? We saw Gaston Jimenez get a yellow card while on the bench, right? Discipline issues. The Miguel Navarro tackle leading to the penalty kick. Discipline issues. Carlos Tehran sometimes has that little bit of hothead in him, and Chihos and C.J. Brown have coached him out of that to a large extent, but you know it's still there just under the surface. So they have to get that under control. Even Chris Mueller, as the game goes on, he gets a lot more frustrated when he's not getting the ball when he's making his runs, which is kind of ironic because on a missed opportunity for the fire, Mueller doesn't get himself in a position to play Kai Kamara, who's open on the left. Rather, he plays it to the right, to, to Haile Selassie, who ends up with a bad first touch and then a tight angle to take the shot off. So that could have been a goal for Kai, but Mueller missed him. Uh, on that play. So again, discipline, poor play, blowing leads and substitutions to me are a much bigger issue than well, who's our starting lineup. That's why I'm not going to get hung up on it anymore. But at least we didn't see Shiboko play because Kai had some good opportunities. Kutsius had some great opportunities and just couldn't find the back of the net. And I'm starting to like the relationship between Kutsius and Shakiri. Now looking at those substitutions here, Gaston comes out at halftime. Pineda comes in. Okay, fine. Like for like some. I'm not going to get on that too much. Uh, people say Gaston's strength is his passing, and Pineda's strength also is his passing. So it's a like for like, not just position-wise and player profile-wise, but from a tactical standpoint as well. And again, you're up 2 nothing, so you keep it like for like. And then it's in the 58th minute when Tehran gets his knock and comes out. I hope it's precautionary. I haven't seen anything yet as to indicate what type of injury uh, he has or how long he may miss. But in comes Kendall Burke, Kendall Burks. And immediately the entire fire fan base on social media says, where is Wyatt Olsberg? Where is Wyatt Olsberg? This guy was borderline MLS all-star defender last year before his injury. He played last week a full 90 minutes for Chicago Fire 2 after making a short appearance for the senior team. And I'm not faulting Ezra for starting Tehran this year. But to go to Kendall Burks, who's only appeared in seven MLS matches prior to this game, and I think maybe two starts, to me, to use my legal phrase, that's just negligent. Like, you are trying to lose the game at this point, or you are trying to prove a point. Gosh, this all right, tinfoil hat here, Fire fans. Maybe he's putting his, his younger players, his Fire 2 players, 
or his back end of the roster players in to show George Heights or to show ownership. I don't have the I don't have good enough players to preserve these leads or win these games. I think Ezra's wrong. If that is the case, the this fire team, when you're up to nothing, is good enough to see the game out. This fire team is good enough to play winning MLS soccer or at least result-driven better soccer than how he's coaching them. So there are problems, yes, with the players that Heights signs. Uh, there are problems with the performances of the players on the pitch in many instances, but there are a lot of problems with the head coach and the coaching staff too. So I, that's why I'm going to kind of take my tinfoil hat off a little bit. I don't think that's the case, but I think it needs to be said that when you screw up your substitutions this much, this early in the season, you got to ask the question if it's intentional. Anyway, the only reason to give Ezra the benefit of the doubt here, to give him a little bit of defense, this is a lawyer in me, i got to look at things on both sides, is that in his mind, the fire had the lead, and they were going to shift back to that 5-4-1 that worked for them the prior week and bring in Olmsberg later on in the game. So rather than mess with what his intended plan was, he brings Burks in for Tehran, and then he was going to bring Olmsberg in later. But immediately you see it fall apart, and then he has to start making offensive substitutions, income Shakiri, income Kutsius, right? I think that was the wrong call. Obviously, hindsight, it was the wrong call to not put in Olmsberg, but still, he's your. I think he's your best defender off the bench. He At least center back, he needed to be the one that comes in to help lock it up. He's already got the partnership with Chihos. I think Burks being subbed in at that moment was just negligent by the coaching staff. I praised Ezra last week for how he was able to see the game out. Go And, and while going defensive was a little more cautious than I would have liked, but it worked. But now this week I got to roast him. Absolutely. Got to touch on coaching on the other side. Jim Curtin, right? I really think he had the fire where he wanted in the entire match. They only gave up one goal from the from the run of play. The old goal, what are you going to do about it, right? But even though they were down two, he knew Philly could come back. He just needed to get that one. They played tight. They played uh, conservative and then started to open things up a little bit right around that 60th minute mark. And then they get the PK. That is a huge stroke of luck for them. He knows he's got the more talented team. He sets them up. And then in that last half hour, he lets them play. And in the 62nd minute, they get the PK. In the 64th minute, he subs in Real and Sullivan. And then also in the 64th minute, that same minute when he puts his subs in, Carranza gets the goal on the assists from Quinn and Sullivan, right? Also, go back and watch Curtin's end game antics. It was beautiful. Like, I loved it from an entertainment standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer he did it against the fire. But the fire fell for it, right? Ball rolls out of bounds late in the game. Goes to Jim Curtin. He's holding it. Miguel Navarro comes up like, hey, give me the ball. I got to take a throw. And Curtin rolls it back out onto the field just to waste a little time. And Navarro is just like, seriously, dude? Seriously. Chihos comes up, kind of puts his arm around Curtin like, really, you're going to do that? And I think that's that's... I had no problem with Chihos doing that because he's just saying, look, man, I've been around this game a long time. So have you like you really going to pull that crap here today right now? They were almost kind of having a laugh about it. But then the Philly players don't take too kindly to Chihos talking to their coach. They shove him. That Navarro gets the, there's a little shoving match, whatever. Here's where the problem is. 
Gaston Jimenez, who's on the bench, first of all, I, I hope he's not hurt because if he is hurt, he needed to be getting treatment, not sitting on the bench watching the game and then getting yellow carded for going after Jim Curtin. It's ridiculous. Jim Curtin was trying to waste time to help preserve a draw for his team on the road after playing in CCL. What did he do? He wastes about 15, 20 seconds. If the fire let it go, that's all it is. But nope, they played right into it. Gaston Jimenez gets a yellow card and they waste another minute or two. Terrible, terrible discipline by the fire. Wonderful, wonderful coaching and dark arts and CCL cocky calf, whatever you want to call it, gamesmanship by Jim Curtin. Now, at this point in the show, I want to remind everyone that we are brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. I could definitely go for a bottle right now. I'm starting to get a little hoarse, just recapping all of this action by the Chicago Fire. And John Donovan usually gives our segment here. We're going to work him into the next episode, uh, and we're going to roll right on into our statistics of the match. Something I like to recap every week to see if the numbers match the eye test, right? So in this game, it was about 50-50 possession-wise, which, wow, Chicago Fire, considering how you controlled most of that first half, you just gave it all back in the second half. 50-50 split on possession there. Uh, Chicago was actually outshot 16-12 and shots on goal 4-2. Now that two shots on goal kind of uh, measures up to that one statistic we read in a prior show that when the fire shoot on goal, they convert about 53% of their, of their shots highest in the league uh, at that time, two shots on goal. They need to be getting more shots on goal. 425 passes at 77% accuracy. That seems to be pretty average. I'm not going to get too hung up on that. It's a little bit more passes than they've had. Uh, I would have liked to see the accuracy a little bit over the uh, 80% mark. Uh, but again, that when you're pushing the ball forward, when you're playing the ball in more dangerous areas, you tend to have a lower completion percentage. Uh, and then in the second half, you saw that the possession swung back to Philadelphia, so they weren't completing as many passes as the firework. So that I'm not too worried about that number. That seems to match up with things. Uh, 14 crosses, zero offside, uh, and four corners. So not whipping the ball in at that same clip as they were last season, but at the same time, uh, you want, you've got target strikers in Kamara, Shabilko, Kutsias. Shabilko not in this game, fine by me, uh, but you need to get them some, some more service, I think. And with zero offsides, it makes me wonder why our strikers aren't pushing those lines, why the wingers aren't pushing the defenders, uh, unless they just played perfect balls every time, and they're onside every time, which I don't think is the case. They did out-duel Philly. They won more tackles. Uh, Brady comes up with two saves. Here's the crazy thing. 23 clearances to Philly's 11. So even when the Fire were controlling the game in that first half, Philly was not scrambling defensively. The Fire were scrambling defensively with 23 clearances. Very high number. And then they're back on the yellow card sheet with two yellow cards. Looking at the advanced statistics, the expected goals. Again, take, take expected goals what you will. But how I like to look at it and how I've been doing it is the Fire have 1.9 expected goals. Based on all the opportunities that they had this match, the numbers suggest they would score about two goals, 1.9 of this one. Now, Philly had 2.3, and that was with a penalty kick. So Philly played very well, had some good opportunities from, from the offensive perspective. But look at this, Fire fans. Haile Selassie's goal was given a 0.9. 
And Kutsius's miss in the 82nd, the one where he kind of like half volleyed it off the crossbar, was given a 0.5. So on those two shots, the Chicago Fire had 1.4 expected goals. So for the rest of the game, they only generated half an expected goal. And to be perfectly honest, I think Kutsius on that one would have been called offsides had that been gone, had that been scored. So even less of an expected goal for the Chicago Fire. Again, the point we've been making week in and week out is the Fire are not generating high-quality offensive opportunities. Even when Kai Kamara scored his brace, it was like for both of those goals, he was given uh, in total like a less than one expected goal. So Kai, thankfully, is making the most of the little opportunities he has, but the Fire as a squad are not getting quality chances. And honestly, I've been talking about it for at least a month on this show. I don't see it changing because I don't think the coaching staff recognizes that this is a problem. We hear it in all of Ezra's post-game comments. Last week, uh, oh, you know, Kai did great to convert those two. Yeah, he did great to convert those two. Those are terrible chances. They probably shouldn't have gone in, especially that diving header flick to the far post. Prior week, oh, you know, we thought we would have got it. We thought Kai would have saved us. This week, oh, we were so close. Kutsius had those chances. They, they just keep relying on their strikers to bail them out instead of maybe trying to work in a little bit of a different tactical wrinkle. Or are they just waiting for Shakiri to come back in and just start serving up assists on a platter for these strikers? And, and maybe he will. But you can't count on that, especially when you're dropping points from leads while you're at home. I said we'd talk about Gaston Jimenez, and we're about 26 minutes into this episode. So let's get to it, and then let's wrap things up a bit here, right? I'd be happier without Gaston Jimenez. I have reached my fill of Gaston Jimenez on the pitch. And honestly, the Fire had the opportunity to sell him, I think, ahead of the 2021 season back to either Argentina or Brazilian club. And instead, they doubled down and kept him as a DP. Now they can't move him after last season. He's been playing terribly last season. So they are able to rework a contract, get him to a targeted allocation money, a TAM level player. And all of a sudden he seems to be playing better. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, did he, did he, did something happen to him in the off season? Is, did CJ Brown as a coach finally get to him? But honestly, he can't defend one V one. He adds no offense unless the bears want to sign him as a field goal kicker. Cause he keep any, any shot he takes is 25 yards, 35 yards out. And it's over the net. Lack of discipline. And honestly, I really do believe if the coaching staff would have invested more in Mauricio Pineda, who is six years younger than Gaston Jimenez, you know, a year or two ago, that they'd be in a much better position. Even on his good days, which is a relatively low bar, I'd rather keep him out. The fire are not winning with him on the pitch. They're having defensive lapses. They're having discipline issues. I don't know what's going on with him in training or in the locker room. Maybe the coaching staff sees something that we as fans aren't privy to. But if it were up to me, if I'm going to put on my Chicago Fire GM hat, let's try to move him within the league. Send him to another team who's leaking goals right now. Send him to a team who just needs a, a consistent piece. Depending, on, But now they can't because he's injured, right? Like I would try to move him. Looking at Gaston Jimenez and kind of his player profile, according to the website fbref.com, who actually puts together player profiles, and they have a section for similar players over the last 365 days. So we are we are going back to last season uh, uh, for a large part of this. 
they give you the 10 players who statistically Gaston Jimenez resembles. Now, of those 10, there's only a handful who are in MLS. Dax McCarty might be the most flattering of these because McCarty makes things move uh, for Nashville, gets into good positions, makes good passes, can progress the ball. So I think that's the positive we see with Gaston Jimenez. But here are the other MLS players that FBref.com statistically shows Gaston Jimenez is similar to. Pablo Ruiz of Salt Lake, Roger Espinoza of Kansas City, and Gene Mota of Inter-Miami. So names, but definitely not like big guys, especially they're all having down years right now. So also, if you want to look at outside of the league, they're comparing Jimenez to Igor of Tigres. You know, someone playing for Tigres, not, not a terrible comp. Ben Sheaf of Coventry City in the English Championship, I believe. Uh, or maybe even in the second division, Valdemir uh, of Maritimo. I believe that's a Portuguese club. Yes, I think it is. Por- yep, yeah, that is a Portuguese club. Uh, Jao Carvalho from Estoril. I believe that's another Portuguese club. And Tiago Silva of Vitoria Guimarães. Like, so they're comparing Gaston Jimenez to underperforming uh, MLS club players and average like Portuguese club and, and like English second and third division players. That, that's that's terrible given his salary, given his experience, and given the roster around him. He has every opportunity to be playing better than he is. There is no one who is pushing him for his spot, at least in the eyes of our coaching staff. So he should be doing a lot better. Unfortunately, we're stuck with him, and I'm stuck watching him because the fire are stuck with this contract. One final note on Chicago right now before we start to wrap things up. The Chicago Fire have started the 2023 season the exact same way they've started the 2022 season from a results standpoint. After seven games, two wins, four draws, and a loss. Same as last season. So after a year, there's been no improvement. They're using the same tactics, the same lineups, the same players, and getting the same results. Remind me, everyone, what is the definition of insanity? Okay, a couple of notable results from around the league. In the Eastern Conference, we saw New England and Columbus play to a controversial 1-1 draw. Controversial, I say it because Columbus gets the equalizer late, late, late game stoppage time, and perhaps the game should have been called before then. Atlanta and TFC play to a 2-2 draw. Exciting game, a back-and-forth game. Toronto still showed a little fight in them with Insigne coming back. But I think the big news is Atlanta United striker uh, Yorgos Giacomakis picks up an injury. He scored four goals in four games he's played, including this one, before he picks up his injury. Will he be available for Atlanta's match with Chicago next week is going to really, really be the question as Chicago game plans for the five stripes. Uh, interleague play. St. Louis crushes Cincinnati 5-1, and there's a little piece of me that loves seeing Cincinnati get crushed, but I hate watching bad soccer, and there was just a lot of bad defense uh, from Cincinnati. And this one, St. Louis takes full advantage in their 5-1 win. West Coast, yeah, we saw El Trafico, we saw LAFC win it late, but man, that Portland-Seattle-Cascadia rivalry did not see this one coming. I did say, hey, don't be surprised if Portland wins. They could use this rivalry game to jumpstart their their season again. I did not see them coming back from early one down to Seattle, then scoring four goals and winning 4-1. Great, great result for the Timbers. 
and hopefully they jumpstart their their season with it. That's everything I wanted to talk about today, Fire fans. Thank you for tuning in. Follow along on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you get your, your podcasts. Please rate and review, like and subscribe, and enjoy all the coverage this week as we lead up to the Fire's next match against Atlanta United. Thank you.